and hello emerging adults and welcome to this month's episode of How to Adopt with Saikai at Help, where we explore on how to be adult because frankly speaking, being adult is like sailing the ocean and I have a paper boat. I'm your host today, Shanit, and today we will be making sense of your career plan with our esteemed guest, Mr. Eric from Career Sense. If you're unfamiliar with Career Sense, it is a career guidance and testing center at Health University and part of the Faculty of Behavioral Science. The Career Sense team has traveled all across Malaysia to help equip individuals and organizations with relevant knowledge, essential skills, and attitude for career and personal success. It is a pleasure to have you here with us today, Mr. Eric. Hi, Janine. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm really happy to be part of this workshop, this podcast, this webinar and such. So thank you. Thank you again for, help, for inviting us in. Thank you for being here. So coming back to our content, we will be talking about career pathways for psychology students and how we can navigate the industry these days. As students, I think we can all relate to the notion that the more we are able to assess the ever-changing landscape, the more we can understand and make the choices that we have. So without further ado, I think a lot of us here are looking forward to what Mr. Eric has to share with about this. So let's begin with our very first question. I hope you're ready, Mr. Eric. Sure. Great. So here comes the first question. The majority of our audience here are psychology students and many of us, we only know our career pathways in therapy, human resource management and education. But what are some of the up and coming career pathways in Malaysia that we can look out for and even possibly consider? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, um, and you're so right. So a lot of psychology students do go into the the helping profession, the clinical work, the counseling work and such. But as you rightfully said, a lot of them also go into the HR types of work. Um, a lot of our students also go into uh, recruitment consultants. So a lot of them get into your Hayes, uh, into Robert Walters and stuff. So that, that's, you know, that's an area where students go into, a lot of you all go into market research analysts type work. So you get hired to do market research, whether before organizations or within the organization or externally. So a lot of students now are also going into some of your, your digital platforms like your Shopee and your Lazada, but more for market research type work. Uh, public relations specialists, you know, so while you may not have a, a degree in PR, but people still do that. Why? Because you bring to the table a lot of your interaction, your understanding of people. Psychology is the study of human behavior. So by and large, some of these things that you talk, that you studied are trying to understand human behavior in that sense. Social work is another big area that people go into. Some go into sales, some, uh, some go into entrepreneurship. So a lot of you begin your own businesses and such. So these are some of the... the the careers that are coming now, while all these are specific industries and careers, one of the things that is emerging is the need for data analysis in any of these types of work. So while your organizations, your industries may remain, but the skill sets that you bring to the table now focuses on your digital side of things, your data analysis. Some of 
where students, your alumni, your seniors uh, go into in this last three years. So CareerSense looks at the data that you guys have um, in giving us in terms of post-graduation. And we sort of analyze where our students. So this will give you a sense of where our students, at least in terms of the industry. And this is a data uh, for the last three years. So 2018, 2019, 2020. And you see now, you, you, when you talk about portions, you're looking at about percentages and such. And if you notice, uh, there was a lot of people who went into education type work in the 2018, but there's been a bit of a decline over the last few years. In the last three years, it's a bit of a steady decline in terms of industries of, of education per se. Um, the rest seems to be in terms of where young people go, where psychology grabs from help go into, tends to be a little bit more consistent in terms of you know commerce. Uh, commerce is your business, you know, and there's been a, a slight increase, not very significant, uh, to financial services, banks, um, investment, investment companies, professional services like consulting. We've seen a steady, steady involvement of students going into, into health services. And then over time as well, you know, you see this, this general trend of where, where people are going. So in terms of where you guys are headed towards in terms of the future, again, very clearly, commerce business is an area that you're going to be going into and probably will have a market. Um, professional services, consulting stuff, that's also an, an increase. So generally, that's the trend where we see people go into at this point of time. I see. I find it quite interesting because it seems that things are going to the more, the, the careers and pathways that we have are going to the more like the digital side of things, more online and whatnot. Mm. Yep. So yeah, I guess in a sense, psychology students are also keeping up with the times with their careers as well. Psych is a general enough degree that you can go into any area of work of your choosing as long as there is interest in exploring that particular field and are willing to explore uh, and that you're on the right track. As long as you're exploring, you're on the right track. I quite like that, you know, like psych degree is like a golden ticket to all possible careers that I could have hoped on. Yep. Now, when it comes to that, like besides having... Um, a, a degree obviously for work and all and having the golden ticket but we also need to have a certain set of like attitude as well right because mm -hmm. some employers claim that attitude matters more than aptitude but we would like to know what exactly do employers mean by attitude and aptitude so what attitudes are they looking for and what kinds of aptitudes are they looking for and sure. in the context of psychology graduates, what is our X factor when it comes to that? <laughs> right. Okay, so put it this way. Um, aptitude is your mental ability, your ability to do the work, right? So that, that's your aptitude. Um, so when you go into a specific field, do you have the, men the knowledge, the mental ability to do that type of work? So regardless of that, if I go into... Uh, digital marketing, for example, do I have the aptitude, do I have the knowledge and the mental ability to do it? So all the skills that's related to that, it could be your hard skills as well. Attitude, and, and I guess the way I want to, to um, 
share what attitude is about is two things. It's your competence and your commitment. I may not have all the skills, the competence to do what I do, but I do I have the commitment, the will to do it. So competence is your skill, commitment is your will. Do you have the skill and do you have the will to do that? Um, so this is where commitment comes in. Uh, are you really, really willing to learn and put in the effort in, in terms of learning? Um, the key, key skill that sometimes organizations use is agility. Are you agile? Which basically means when things are thrown our way, are you able to find solutions to the best of your ability? So that for me is, is attitude. You know, so when I when I show up, when I'm present, when I'm attentive, am I able then to be real and say, okay, I may not have the necessary skills now, I may not have the necessary skills yet but I want to learn. And so my commitment to that learning process. And it may, if that learning process comes to you through your work, through your training at work, great. If it doesn't, do I have an attitude to go and find out? Um, with regards to your question about the X factor, I think the, the X factor for help graduates, all of you, is you have probably one of the better research skills, which, which we have drummed into you through your education, <laughs> through your three years, four years with help. We have drummed with you the research skills, you know. So this is a skill that sometimes we grumble and we complain, oh my God, another literature review, another data analysis. Uh, oh goodness, it's now um, qualitative studies and quantitative studies, you know. But that's something that we've drummed into all, all of you students because that is something that you will not get in many other faculties in, in part of that. And in this process, you've developed academic writing, presentation skills. I mean, many of your classes include that presentation skills. Why is that important? Because it, it creates that soft skills of confidence in that sense, uh, your ability to, to be able to speak to large crowds. Uh, all those things make you different in that sense. And, and that's what, what companies are looking for in that sense. You know, how, can I, how can I use these skills that we've given you in these three years and now you take it one step further in terms of how do I communicate that? But what I think psychology does is because of your understanding or study of human behavior is it helps you also reflect about how you relate to people. Wow, that is a really thorough coverage of all the characteristics that we are currently fostering and may need to foster ourselves into yeah. leading a successful career. So let's zoom out a little bit and from let's talk about the world of work. When this is mentioned, we are talking, uh, referring things to such as occupations, employees, paychecks, career advancement, etc. So with that in mind, can you tell us what is it like in the world of work these days as compared to the pre-pandemic era? And how do you see it changing in the next few years or so? Um, the actual work that people do in organizations remains consistent. Um, what do I mean by I say that? So, for example, let us take a look at uh, the academic universities so we all can relate to that. So, my role as a lecturer at the university, 
My basic function at the university is teaching, tutoring, counseling, marking exams, uh, setting, setting up exams, marking assignments. Okay? That function still remains. I still do that, right? But what has changed because of the pandemic is not what I do, but how I do it. It's the same thing for you. You know, your university life, you had a certain style of study, certain style of delivery of, the, of classes and how you do the exams. In the last year and a half, that has changed. So it's not what we are doing, it's how we are doing it. What we've noticed about the pandemic is that it's created a lot of stress, that's for sure, right? So you know, what's relevant for, for mental health is that 78% of the workers say that the pandemic has negatively affected them in terms of their mental health. 76 indicated that companies should be doing more to protect their, the mental health of workers. 85% said newfound work-related stress, so which means they are going through a lot more stress working from home compared to, what, uh, compared to working in the office and such. But interestingly, what we begin to see that while people are stressed, uh, a recent study said that workers, employees are working much harder, which basically means productivity has gone up 10%. And that is attributed to the fact that there is no clear distinction between work life and home life. That work life balance has been really, really screwed up. Meaning that, you know, People get up in the morning and they start working and because, you know, they are just at the comfort of their home, they get to work until quite late. So while we complain, productivity has increased in that sense. But the fact is, and sorry, not but, but the myth is that people who do work at home is less productive. But the reality is if staff, if people like you, when you go into the working world, if you are given what we call radical flexibility and this is a, is a huge thing because radical flexibility means companies must really really trust their, their their staff and their employees you will see that people are actually becoming more productive one of the organizations um, says now that their hiring processes is no more targeted to certain localities so for example if there's an organization in KL uh, I'm only going to hire people in the Slangor, in the Klang Valley area. But because of this virtual experience, and you can be working anywhere and whenever, now your hiring processes, I'm going to expand to people all across Malaysia because you do not need to be physically present in my office. So you're going to have that kind of a mentality as well over time. So it is going to change. We will, we will know these changes in the next few months, in maybe in the next six months when there is a there's this return to work. And in six months, if we have another podcast like this, we'll be able to give you more statistics and data about how the new world of work is going to look like. Right now, a lot of companies are experimenting. Mm. I find that interesting because I think a lot of people would assume that when we go back to work, like everything would be as it was before pre-pandemic eras. So I think it's quite interesting to also see like, the effects and the consequences of the pandemic era and how does it uh, bring forward once we you know get past the whole entire pandemic so mr eric 
now that we have understood the landscape of career opportunities for us as psychology students, how would you recommend, like, um, maybe I would say, like, what are the major gaps between the emerging career pathways and the employability of fresh graduates? And how would you recommend students to overcome these gaps? Yeah, I, that's a, a tough one, but an interesting question, Jean. Um, what we begin to see as a, one of the major gaps is young people today are not hungry for the world of work. <laughs> Let me say that. When I say that people, young people are not hungry is because we begin to notice in a trend that there are segments of students who, after their university degree, want to take breaks. <laughs> you know, they take a gap year or they take six months and all that. See, when you graduate, you are not just graduate, you're not just competing for jobs with your cohort from your university, from health, but you are competing with all graduates of that year right across Malaysia. So, for example, if, if 60,000 graduates, there are 60,000 graduates graduating across Malaysia, we are now competing with 60,000 people. What we began to realize is that there's very few, well, not there are people uh, who, who want to take it easy and all that. And I'm not saying do not take gap years and all that, but be mindful that you may not get a job that you want because you're losing out to somebody else who's a little bit more determined, who's a little bit more driven, a little bit more passionate about what they want to do in that sense. So I think one of the things that we, we want to talk about is really how hungry are you for the world of work? How hungry are you to get out there uh, and, and to, to start establishing your careers? Wow, that is some really, really thoughtful advice. I can kind of see how like um, our attitude towards the world of work is also related to our attitude when we are working in the company itself. Because yeah. you mentioned about like how we show up. Mm. Yeah. Well, put it this way. I mean, part of the challenge for a lot of university students is you are bogged down with so much studies. Your final year is you've got your thesis, you've got all these papers that you want to finish and all that kind of stuff. You've got exams. And so you're so focused on that, you're not really thinking about the world of work. You're not thinking about the next step. So a lot of the mindset is that let me finish university first and then I'll start exploring the world of work you know and that needs to be that's a bit of a challenge because I think while you're still doing all the things you're doing in university life there must be some time where you start thinking about well, what I mean, want to do okay so moving on to our next question um, I'd like to ask I think maybe some people may see this as a more sensitive question, but to be frank with, with all of us, um, what can students really expect to make at their first job based on the few major industries that they tend to join? And how optimistic can we about uh, salary increments and as well as career advancement? Okay, there are a few prongs to that. Um, so in terms of your first job, I guess you need to ask yourselves, which kind of industry do you want to go into? So for example, I, I see three 
career paths. One, you can go into big organizations, your MNCs, your multinationals, um, multinationals like your like your GE, General Electric, um, like your DGs of the world. Um, so big companies in that sense, you know, your your Shell um, and all those big companies. Now, then you have what we call the SMEs, right? The small medium enterprises. And then there's a third pathway in terms of you want to do a startup, you want to become entrepreneurs, which a lot of students now go into startups. So depending on where you start, you know, what, what's your first job, so to speak. Now, if you go into MNCs or big organizations, because it's so big, you get to really focus on that role, that position, and you become really good at that specific position in that sense. You become an expert in that because you're, you're given a specific role and that you become an expert in that role per se. When you look at SME, small, medium enterprises, you go into organizations like that, then what you expect is you'll be learning everything and anything because they are smaller and you are doing A to Z. You're doing all the different kinds of things in that sense. So you become more generalist, but you get exposed to a variety of things. Um, how optimistic can we be about increments and, and career advancements? Um, okay, generally for fresh grads, fresh grads, your salary is basically about 2,500 to 3,2. Good majority. So 44%, that's your, your price range of 2,5 to 3,5. You, know? you have a, a majority of 35% who's given you know, 1,005 to 2,005. But among this, 25, this 35%, you've got, most of them will be hitting close to the 2K, right? Now, there are those who, of course, will get 3,005 and above, and you have a few people who are hitting 5,005, you know, that 1%. Now, this is the range of things. So in terms of salaries and increments and all that, it's largely dependent on the industry that you go to. So depending also how large the organization is, bigger MNCs, because if it's large, it's got, you know, the income comes in better, then therefore your progression in terms of increments is also better. SMEs uh, may start you off as in the baseline, but the increments could be dependent on your productivity and productivity of the organization per se. And so, yes, people do share profits and such, uh, but it's largely dependent on how much money came in and such. Yeah, so... That's, that's basically in terms of increments and such, largely dependent on your industry that you go to. That's actually quite impressive, I would say, because I, I never knew that our salary could also be affected, like with which company you go to, which organization you go to, whether you want to go, for, uh, you want to start up, you want to go for an SME or an MSC. MNC. M yeah, MNC. Multinationals, yeah. MNCs. <laughs> Yes, yeah. thank you. So again, so majority, I mean, um, entry level into, into, as for undergraduates, you can almost expect about 2,005 to about 3,000, okay? That's your general baseline. Of course, some companies go a little bit lower, other companies will go a bit higher. Oil and gas takes it a step, a notch higher because of the nature of work, oil and gas, um, well, you may hit about, Four, four, five, four thousand, four thousand five. Okay. Now, entrepreneurs, on the other hand, 
you can make the money depending on how good your product is, but your profits come in much later and may not be in your first year. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then you also get a bit of a higher depending on your on, on the product and your marketing strategy and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a lot of very insightful information. So yes, thank you for explaining to explaining to us all of that. It's actually very, very impressive. Thank you very much. And I think we can take a little bit more of a reflective and introspective take on making career plans. So there's this uh, Japanese concept known as Ikigai, and it means finding something pleasurable and fulfilling, which makes the life worth living. Basically, it gives a person a reason to live and a sense of purpose as well. So Ikigai composes of three criteria. It's something that you're good at, it pays you, and it's something that the world also needs. So how can we take the concept of Ikigai and apply it to our own career planning? Okay. Um, so Ikigai, as, as the name suggests, is a Japanese concept. Um, and, and you said it right now. Ikigai means the reason you get up in the morning. So what's the reason you get up in the morning? Now, it doesn't need to be careers. You can ask yourselves, uh, as university students, what's the reason you get up in the morning? And it's so do my assignments. <laughs> assignments. <laughs> but it sort of culminates into um, what are your passions? What's your vocation? What's your profession? And what's your mission? Um, so, so let me explain. Let me give you an example. My passion has always been in people development. And as I look back in my, even my school life, I, I always enjoyed being with people. I uh, always liked helping people, even in school days, in my uh, secondary school and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I used to get involved in a lot of uh, youth camps because that was an avenue for me to, to be part of people, to help people. So, I mean, is it any wonder now that I chose, that was my passion. My passion was helping people. So I chose a vocation um, in the helping line. You know, counseling, coaching, training, teaching, because my passion was always people. And so a vocation is that, that whole gambit of things uh, in terms of wanting to help, counseling, coaching, and such, teaching as well. Um, all in the sphere of developing people. My profession now in Help University is one that helps me help people. <laughs> so my role as the director of career sense and in terms of my coaching and in counseling and in teaching and in training, it's, it's seen as a help to that. Now I may choose another profession, a job or a different organization at another point of time, but it will still be within this sphere of helping people, which is my passion and my vocation, which is wanting to be to help develop people. So my, my profession could be different but it'll still be in as part of my vocation. Um, and as I look back now, that seems to be my mission in life to help create opportunities of growth for people. So th this was my journey. Yeah? And this is probably your journey. So uh, again, it's, it's, it may be difficult to sum that all and say, well, no, what is it that I want? How am I going to make money? Uh, and what the world needs kind of thing. But it's a journey as you 
grow, as you develop, you need to ask yourself, so from early on in life, were there anything that I was particularly excited about, particularly interested in, particularly passionate about? But when you're excited or passionate about something, the, the next question is, can that passion be converted into any kind of income generation? Can it be converted into some kind of work per se? Are there jobs out there that seems to be aligned with what I want to do? And that so it's stemming out of the passion. What is what are your passions in life? Now, some of us, I I, I have no doubts that you have amazing passions. Um, you have great passions about that, and that has sort of emerged over time. Some of us may not have passions, you know, and I talk about passion, some of you are going, passion, what the hell is that, you know? Uh, my passion is sleeping. Uh, but but the passion of sleeping, can it convert to some kind of income generation? Work and sleep, work and income, gen sleep and income generation don't coexist, you know? So, so that's your passion. Uh, but can that passion be converted into some kind of work? Then, of course, you look at the profession and the mission in terms of, well, are there jobs out there that will help me do that? And does that serve a greater purpose? Because, yes, we, we all talk about work per se uh, and work as a means of getting money and all that kind of stuff, which is important. And no doubts about that. Please do not get me wrong. No, yes, we need the money. But it must lead us to some kind of deeper understanding of who I am and what is it that I want to give to the world? What's my contribution to the world? And the world is not the big globe there. No? My world is just the people around me. And, the, and, the, and for me as a lecturer, as a, as a staff of Help University, my world is you guys. <laughs> right? So this is my, you are my world. You are part of my, you know, my sphere of, of, of influence in that sense. So am I making a difference in that sense? So how am I making a little bit of a difference in your lives where possible? Uh, and, and if that question is, how am I making a difference? Then the kind of things that I get involved in, like in terms of my corporate training, it's not about the money. It's about, well, how am I also making a difference in the lives of the people out there? Um, how am I making a difference in the lives of the people that I work with, my staff, my colleagues? Um, I have a responsibility for them as well. So it sort of expands itself to a bigger audience, so to speak. But for, for you guys, I think what's real is at this point of time, what's your passion? And if you have a passion, can that be converted into some kind of income generation? If it can, which job, which line of work is going to help me do that? Because that's empowering. That's that's. Uh, enriching in that sense yeah um, if it doesn't then what else am i passionate about and then again that that's the part of the reflection so Shireen, you said that right now it's very very introspective um, and sometimes it takes time sometimes we it's good that you're asking that question because if that reflection starts now you're ahead of the game generally what happens is people go into the world of work start working for a few years and then realize this is do I really like my job? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and then they have that, that internal crisis, you know, and going, oh, maybe I need to change jobs. So it might be good to start that reflection now so that you get to go where you want to go, so to speak. Right? Yeah. 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 Y
Wow. Thank you, Mr. Eric. I think, yeah, I think I remember clearly one of our lecturers, uh, she did mention that use the internship time to figure out if this line of work is what you want to do in the future. And yeah, it's something that I would really need to do as well to like really find out what my passion is because I did jump ship a few times like I wanted to do this career then I wanted to do that career so yes I would take the advice fine, given that, that is perfectly <laughs> fine for us to, to, to start changing or to start developing because you have that opportunity to grow and you have that opportunity to decide you know and again as I said that's the agility of today's world uh, it doesn't mean that um I go into this line of work because I'm passionate and that passion won't change. There will be people like me whose passions won't change over the years, but there are those, especially now with our young people, passions do change and that's perfectly fine. But it's, you know, that, that ability to explore, that ability to find out what connects with them um, and, and to think about it, to reflect about it ongoing and not just, you know, after a little while say, I'm stuck in this job and therefore I'm just going to remain here for the forever and ever, amen, kind of a thing, you know. But rather the ability to say, hey, you know, I, I, is, it part of my, is it part of my passion? What I'm doing now, is it passion? I'm not passionate about it. Uh, is it my vocation? It's my profession, but can my profession change? Is it part of my mission? Uh, that, that's ikigai lah. You know. <laughs> okay, thank you, Mr. Eric. So, yeah. yes, it's something very important learning that all of us can take. So due to the constraints of time, uh, we'll be only taking uh, one more question from the audience. Um, so she, this audience, this person says that, how are the hiring opportunities for those who continue to do further studies instead of working right after degree? Will they be able to secure a job position with a higher paying salary as compared to a pay equivalent to a degree? Or will it be tough since the lack of working experience? Yeah, it's largely dependent on what master's degree you're going to go into. All right. So if you're going into a very niche, uh, very focused type of, you know, like your clean site, like your counseling and all that kind of stuff, where there is a demand. So clean site, there's always a demand. Counseling, there's a demand and such. So Moving from um, moving from undergraduate straight into a master's program for these types of programs are very niche. There's a skills building. Um, then when you come out, it is a little bit more competitive in terms of your salaries and such. You may not be able to get as much as somebody who's been in the working world, gone into the into masters and come back because there is an added advantage of that working experience per se, right? But if you're going to do those very niche type programs, yes, the demands are greater. Your salary skills will definitely be more compared to a fresh graduate, uh, well, an undergraduate and all that. But if you want to compare somebody who's gone in undergraduate, gone to work and then gone to master's and then come back, yes, the salary, you can demand a slightly higher salary because of that, because you have that work experience with you. Um, so again, I, I leave the, to you because there, there are two thing, two ways to think about this. You know? So one, yes, you save time, you finish, you are in study mode, you finish your undergrad, you go into the working world. There's no, you know, it's just a shift to, to from one style of studying to another style of studying in that sense, you know. So that's a lot of the excuse that we get. And they want to get qualified in a specific field. Um, the downside of it is sometimes when you get into the working world, 
you begin to develop certain passions, certain liking that may not have been your initial thinking when you were in your undergrad. Your thesis is a little bit more focused because you are addressing a certain need in society, in your organization. And so therefore, that comes out, of, out in your, in your, your master's um, because you're def directly relating to that. Okay, so there are pros and cons with whether we go straight from undergraduate to master's to postgraduate or the, you know, whether people want to go work first. If finances are okay and if it's a niche program like ClinPsych or Counseling Psych or you know, any kind of that's very, very focused in that sense that gives you a professional side to the, that paper, you know, then yes, that, that's fine. Uh, but if you... If you're not, if you're going into a more generic type, like your MBA type and all that kind of stuff, then um, chances are when you graduate, you may not reach the kind of salaries that you may be expecting. Wow, thank you, Mr. Eric. So yes, that would be the last question we'll be taking for today. And heading back to Mr. Eric now. So what do you think 18 to 25 year old Mr. Eric needed to hear? The world is optimistic if you choose to make it optimistic. Um, you're going to get a lot of gloom and doom out there. We've experienced that in the last one and a half years, a lot of gloom and doom. But it's largely how you see the world, how your, your perspective of the world. Um, and you can make a difference if you choose to make a difference. And the difference is not, as I said, not the global difference in that sense, but in your circle of friends, in the circle that you work with, the people that are with you. What's the kind of difference that you want to make with them? And it starts with us. You know, we start with the person in the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, I hope you see us, we see ourselves. If you look in the mirror and you see somebody else, there's really something wrong somewhere. So who do we, we need to look at ourselves and see what kind of difference we want to make and where can we make it? Yeah, that's about it. Wow. Thank you so much, Mr. Eric. I feel yeah, like even welcome. though... The message is technically for yourself or for your younger self. I feel like it's related to all of us, not just for younger selves, but even for those who are slightly more working adults or even elders as well. And it's one that we can all relate to very, very much. And with that, I believe that marks the end of our episode today. And on the behalf of the Emerging Adults audience and the Psychi team, thank you, Mr. Eric, for being on our show today. And to our audience, welcome. thank you. And to our audience, we wish you all the best in your career planning. And we hope the insights you that are provided by Mr. Eric have helped you on this career journey. So once again, I'm your host, Janine. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you all next time. Goodbye, everyone. And thank you, Mr. Eric. You're most welcome. Thank you, everyone. Oh my god. <laughs> Is Mr. Eric in the Discord? Are you ready, Dad?